Hi, everybody, and welcome to the 100 Pounders special focus meeting. Today is November the 30th, 2022. And today our speaker is the lovely Phil B, who is from Hereford in the UK. Phil first came to OA in January 2014, and I'm now going to hand it over to her so she can share her experience, strength and hope with everybody. Take it away, Phil. So I immediately mute myself. Oh, dear. <laughs> it's lovely to be with you. I'm Phil. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm from Hereford in the UK. And for those of you that don't know, Hereford is right over on the west of England, almost bang slap on the Welsh border. Um, and it is a very beautiful rural part of England, very soft and gentle countryside. Uh, as you've heard Rita say, first of all, Rita, thank you for taking the meeting and thank you for your help in the background and for asking me to come and to all of you who are giving service. Thank you. And also to all of you who are here um, because meetings keep us together. And that is the, one of the greatest things that OA has given me. It breaks down that horrible sense of isolation. And I'm looking at the numbers and I wish I was somewhere else actually right at this moment. Um, uh, I'm not, I'm here. So I am going to share my story uh, before OA, in OA and how OA and working these steps has changed my life. Uh, as Rita said, I came into OA first in January 2014 and I lasted about two meetings and I decided that uh, I was having difficulty with um, being an addict. I didn't want to give up the food. Uh, and I also didn't want to take responsibility for my recovery. So I went out and I went for it even bigger time, <laughs> uh, if that was at all possible. And at my worst, I was literally eating all day, every day, every waking moment of my life, day in, day out. I live um, oh, five minutes walk from um, a small, uh, well-known supermarket chain um, supermarket, one of their sort of mini ones. And I used to go over there three, four, sometimes five times a day to restock. And it got so bad that a chap that works on one of the checkouts just one morning a week on a Saturday, got to the point of um, saying, oh, you've come for your fix, have you? And uh, it didn't even register then just how bad I was. I just shut it out. That was how much food controlled my life. So I'm going to go back 
right back to the beginning because otherwise you won't understand why I or how I got to that point. Uh, I was born into a family of mom and dad both being doctors. Uh, what people saw on the outside uh, was the important thing that we were the perfect family, perfect children, all succeeding, all going into professions. What went on behind closed doors was sheer and utter bloody hell. Excuse my language, it might deteriorate during this year and I don't mean to upset anybody. Uh, my father was a man who was full of anger. Anger was his go-to reaction. Uh, my mother um, was emotionally shut down. Uh, they were not happy, they were not compatible. Um, and I can see that with hindsight. I was the fourth of four children. And I was told I was an accident and I was the wrong gender. Uh, I had two eldest, my two eldest siblings were sisters and they were very close in age. And basically they brought me up. One was verbally very um, controlling and the other was very physically controlling. Uh, my father, and then I had a brother who um, I thought was my friend and we were a little bit closer in age. Uh, and I say I thought he was my friend because at the age of seven, he started um, sexually abusing me, emotionally abusing me and um, my father physically abused me. So life was not a happy place and I retreated into Phil. I remember playing uh, fuzzy felt and it was a circus fuzzy felt in the days where um, circuses included animals being in cages. And I remember building the cages, but I didn't realize that although I was putting the animals in the cages that I was actually those animals. Um, and I started eating very early. Uh, I was stealing food. I was eating leftover scraps. I was forever in trouble for, for doing that and for telling lies that it wasn't me that had stolen the food. And um, I, I ate to numb what was going on in my family. And I ate as a substitute for love. But I couldn't actually enunciate what love was. And that is an ongoing journey and I will get to that. Um, so, you know, if I put a foot out wrong, uh, I got uh, either beaten by my father or maltreated by my sisters, either verbally or physically. I then had my brother on the side, 
who swore me to secrecy that if I showed any emotion um, or told anybody what was going on, it would be an awful lot worse. Uh, if I had an opinion on something within the family, uh, you know, about, I loved nature, I loved conservation, even at an early age, uh, if I expressed that, I was met with ridicule. So if I opened my mouth, I was wrong. If I sat quietly, oh, you're making a heck of a noise, Phil. I was ridiculed then. Uh, so I couldn't win. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the baggage was, was there. It was a, a household of, um, of alcohol around. And I am an alcoholic as well. I'm in AA, I'm in ACA. Uh, I'm a shopaholic as well. Surprise, surprise, if I can do anything compulsively and addictively, I will. I've never taken drugs um, and I only uh, gamble if I am at a race course and then I only take a few pounds with me and I have my limit and I don't take any other money because I don't. I could be off onto either of those very quickly and I know that. Uh, so, um, uh, alcohol was around, and my first memory of that is going around after a, a drinks party, going and uh, drinking the dregs. And so, you know, the two were in fairly early on in my life. And basically, when I went to school, uh, I was a boarder and I would say at the tuck shop, oh, I'll pay you, you know, tomorrow when I can get some money. And I didn't. And then I got myself in charge of the tuck shop. And well, I ate most of the tuck, didn't I? Uh, you know, deceitful, thieving, you name it. Um, and my behaviors, even as a child, uh, were crazy. I'd be sent off to do shopping and I would eat raw uh, sausages on the way home. I would eat, uh, I would go to the, be sent with a 10 shilling note. Now that's quite a time ago, I'm afraid, <laughs> um, to buy uh, sweeties because my mum had a sweet tooth as well. And I would eat a whole chunk on the way home and say that they'd gone up in price. Uh, um, I, I stole out of the bin, I stole out of the fridge and that continued all through my life. Um, I didn't have access to um, to alcohol at school. I went to a good convent. Uh, I was brought up in a very serious religious household, but I was told God was a God to fear. Uh, and if I told a lie, if I did something wrong, 
I was going to spend eternity in hell. Uh, and there was no way back. So that was what I brought was brought up with. And um, I want I, the one good thing I did at school was sport. I loved sport. And I wanted to go into sport as my career, but that wasn't good enough. And I actually became a nurse. And I was told, A, what my career choice was to be, B, what hospitals I could apply to, which hospitals uh, were good enough. So I had no choice. And I had no voice. I had been so swamped that I, I just was like a zombie. I was not academically any good. Um, and I went to a London hospital. I loved the practical work, absolutely loved it. But if there was any relationship, you know, as I went on up the, 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 the career path and came into management side of it, um, I just didn't know how to cope. I had not a clue as to how to manage people because I really had no interaction at all. Um, so I didn't do very well. Uh, I had very few boyfriends. Uh, I was just terrified of men. When uh, I did jump through the hoops very, very quickly. And I actually very stupidly came back to where I'd been born. When my parents were still living, I went and lived back at home. And I went to the hospital where my father was working and I did in fact meet my husband there. But the thing was, and I didn't know it then, I had walked straight back into the same scenario as my, my brother um, of abuse emotional and um, and sexual. Uh, I thought he was full of fun, uh, kicked the traces of the family. I thought, goody, here's a way out. And I really do see that now. I used that poor man to get out of my family. Um, and he wasn't popular in my family, but I thought, oh, to hell with it. I'm still going to marry the man. But I knew it wasn't right in my heart. And in fact, my father asked me when we were sitting in the car going to the church, do you want to go ahead with this, Phil? And I knew then it was wrong. And I said, yes. I was so desperate to get out of the family. Um, and while I was working, things weren't too bad because I could escape. And I had some sort of vague sort of self-esteem, but as a ward sister, I wasn't coping with the management side. So I actually, the wheels were coming off at that point. And I 
I became pregnant quite quickly. I had have had two daughters. Uh, I hadn't a clue how to bring up my children. Not a clue. And I look at some of my friends around here who do have the program to work with, uh, bring up their children. And the difference in the parenting style is just chalk and cheese, absolutely chalk and cheese. Uh, I had my children and suffice to say that a few years down the line, I had to walk away. I had to leave my children and it was pure survival. My husband did rape me on more than one occasion and then very overtly uh, the last time. And I said, enough. I could not stick it any longer. And I left him and I left, to a large extent, I left my children, although they did come and visit me. And it took me seven years to get a divorce. It was horrible. And the day, I, within a very short space of time, I moved south um, to Hereford. Uh, I had gone back to work in the meantime and uh, the wheels came off my wagon big time uh, emotion you know I might have done the geographical but unfortunately for those of you that know England and Scotland my problems followed me over Hadrian's Wall and down the M6 and I ended up twice being admitted to the psychiatric unit I've had 24 doses of electroconvulsive therapy, nothing worked. I ate and 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 I lived to eat, eat because I could not stand the pain. Bill, could I'm, not stand it. You've got, sorry? You've got 13 minutes left. I'm a bit late, sorry. Terrific, thank you. So, you know, surprise, surprise that I ate and I ate and I ate. And as I say, I tried OA and I walked away. And when I contacted the contact lady again in March 2015, we agreed to meet and she didn't recognize me. I had put on so much weight. I don't know my exact weight when I came in because nobody was getting me anywhere near a pair of scales. But I had been weighed in the um, surgery a few months before then and I reckon I must have been about 16 and a half stone and I am five foot one. Uh, I was having serious health problems and I have damaged myself because of um, my overeating. So six and a half stone I worked out was 224 pounds or 104 almost 105 kgs. And today I actually weighed in and my weight does go up and down. Uh, I've trashed my body for 60 years and it is highly, highly sensitive to stress, the amounts I eat, um, but certainly stress is one of my things. It, it just reacts to it. I either lose weight like a stone 
or it can go up. It, it, it is a movable feast these days. And today I'm nine stone exactly, which is 126 pounds uh, and just over 25, uh, sorry, 57 kgs. So I have lost quite a substantial amount of weight, but I realize all that can pile right back on again if I don't work my program. I hadn't a flipping clue when I came into OA what the program was about. And this lady said to me, while we were having this particular cup of tea, will you engage with the program, Phil? And I don't know where this answer came from. I do think now it was my friend, you know, that sits up there on the cloud. And um, I said, yeah, I will. I'll give my heart and soul to it. And that is what I try and do every single flaming day of my life. Because this is the last chance saloon. I have nowhere else to go and nothing else has worked for me. It not only has helped me to put the food down, it has helped me. Sorry, I'm being joined by my other compulsive overeater here. Um, and I don't want to go back to where I have come from. My, the lady that I was speaking to has now become my sponsor. And she is a book, big book lady. I was taken through the steps using the big book. And in fact, using Laurie C's way of the big book. Uh, but I was expected to get my tiny little nose into this fabulous book. Excuse my pink cover. Um, and I have no doubt now that this book is divinely written. It has come from the spirit of the universe. I have no doubt about it. And I'll tell you for why. When I am really working my program properly and I am in serious contact with my higher power. It sings and dances to me. When I am not, it is gobbledygook and it is as dry as a flipping bone. And it tells me exactly what I have to do. And the day I bought this big book, I was at a OA convention and this lady was with me. And she said, you've got to write in this. She said, can I write in your book, Phil? I said, oh, no, 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 you can't write in my book. Books are precious. You can't possibly. She said, but it's a textbook. I said, what? And if you look, the, the beginning of the second paragraph of the preface, it says this is our basic text. And she wrote in my book at the beginning of how it works. A journey of a thousand miles stepped, starts with the first step. And I love that. She did sign it, she dated it for me. And when I feel I'm losing my way, I go to that. And I love it. And she said, 
I'm telling you, you are not to keep it in pristine condition. You are to scribble in it. You are to write in it. You are to underline in it. And well, I got, got going that day, didn't I? In that convention. And I have never stopped scribbling in it and underlining. And I think I most probably end up with the whole text being scribbled in and underlined, but I don't mind. I actually run on two copies. One is, is, is my textbook. And the other one, I, when I just want to be quiet with God, I take it away and I just read it quietly with God. And when I really want to work at it, you know, I want to, I want to engage brain, then I get my, my scribble copy out. And I find that works for me. Uh, I always take God with me into my big book anyway. So, you know, but if I want a quiet time. And the other thing she told me was to buy a dictionary. And any word, look it up, look it up, see where it fits in. And I find that the, the, um, the definitions of words or the understanding of words changes as the years go on. And this was written in 1930s. So I went away and I got myself a copy of a Webster's Dictionary, an old copy of a Webster's Dictionary. And I can hardly read it. It's, the print is so horrendously small. And I look things up. I mean, trudge to me means ugh really walking through mud but if i read that it says to walk on both upright on both feet and my sponsor always says trudge means to walk with purpose or purposefully so you know i now walk on my two feet purposefully when i read trudge and that's the way i like to see to see trudge. So I have worked my steps and I still am working step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, every single day of my life. And I have had real problems understanding defects. Because to me, defects mean I am defective. And I can't stand that. And she said defenses. And yeah, that was all right. I got that a bit. And then I was at a meeting and I heard somebody say spirit blockers. And I went, yes, I've got it. Finally. And to me, my defect, sorry, <laughs> are spirit blockers. And I was reading my steps six and seven prayers this morning and saying them and it's always to do God's will absolutely to do God's will this is a spiritual program and it is God that is my conductor my boss and he's an okay boss actually he's more than that he's my parent he's my dad He's the dad I never had. He's teaching me to love. And I said I'd come back to this and time's whizzing on. But 
I have not understood what love is. I've asked people, and it was only in the pandemic when I couldn't get to face-to-face meetings, I was shouting at God, saying, what the heck have you done? Only it wasn't quite as polite. I said, I want a hug. And he said, well, what the heck are you waiting for? I say he because it just rolled off the tongue. He said, come and have a hug. Literally put his hands out to me and said, come and have a hug. Sat down, always had been standing up before. Come and have a hug. I was like a baby in his arms. And just recently, within the last fortnight, I have lost my dog. I've had to have one of my dogs put to sleep. And I buried him yesterday and my sponsor came so that I wouldn't be on my own. I buried his ashes. And she'd brought bulbs to put over him. But I'd chosen something to put over him. And we buried him together. And when we'd got him sorted, she said, take your gloves off, put her hands in mine, and we said the serenity prayer. And I didn't realize it then, but God put peace in my heart. And that little dog, I realized I loved him. And I loved him to bits. And he saved my life, brought me back to OA. And I realized that I was loving him from my head, not my heart. What I received from my sponsee yesterday was love from the heart. She went out of her way. She's horrendously busy. And my little dog that's here beside me right now went completely nuts last night, wouldn't leave me. And I had to love her from my heart. And if that's what my little dog that is in the garden now is teaching me, it's love and love comes from God. But I have to open myself to receive that love and not to love anybody from my head, but to love and give from my heart. And that is what this program ultimately teaches me. And that I give service through my heart, not through my head, not to do the right thing. I can't pass it on if I don't do it with love. I am a firm believer in service because I learn it helps my program. And that is being horrendously selfish, but it's not. Because if I grow through listening and my sponsees, by golly, every time they teach me, every time I speak to them, and I'm sure all of you will teach me something today because I'm here to learn. I'm not here to teach you or share you anything. You know it all. It's all the same, but different. Because you're my God with skin on. You say the same thing that I say, only the circumstances are different. That is what's so beautiful about OA. We are all the same. We are equal. 
And that's the difference between a fellowship and the professional who is up here and the client who is down here. You and I, wherever you are on this beautiful planet of ours, that we inhabit with creation, is that we are like that, or rather we're like that. We are all the same. We are all battling this disease, and it is a fatal disease. It's foul, it's nasty, it's insidious, and it's wanting me every day. Every mealtime it wants me. It wants me to take, wants to take me back to that hell. Well, it's got a bloody great fight on its hands, I tell you, because I want this. And I came into OA just about dead. There was no color in my life whatsoever. It was black and it was filthy and it was dirty. Now, Life is glorious technicolor, you know, as in the film. Uh, it's time. And thank you. And I have a zest for life. And I am able to do things because I work this program. I am actually in the process of packing up my house to move to Australia. I have got in tin cans and flown across the world and I am terrified of flying. Absolutely, blooming terrified. But I just say to God, right mate, you get on that aircraft before me and you stay awake, no going to sleep. You just keep, keep here and get me to t'other end in one piece. And bless his heart, he's done it. And in April, I will be 70 years of age. And I am planning a trip to be with my family in Australia to celebrate. I shall do it abstinently and soberly and exceptionally happily. That is what I long for, that is what I work hard for, to maintain this joy in my heart. It's not all a barrel of laughs, lost my dog, but I've been abstinent all the way through. Thanks to God, this book, you and the people I go to for my support. Bless you for being here. Thank you for listening. And I hope I haven't gone over too far. Oh, Phil, what a message of depth and weight. And I'm just going to read a part of vision for you that I just saw. Um, I wanted to dedicate for um, to Phil. If I can get through this without crying. Yes, there is a substitute. And it is vastly more than that. It is a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. Among them, you will make lifelong friends. You will be bound to them with new and wonderful ties. For you will escape disaster together and you will commence shoulder to shoulder your common journey. Then you will know what it means to give of yourself, that others may survive and rediscover life. You will learn the full meaning of love thy neighbour as thyself. The practical answer is that since these things have happened to Phil, 
and many people among us that can happen with you should you wish them above all else and be willing to make use of our experience we are sure they will come the age of miracles is still with us our own recovery proves that